Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Gleason and this is Unmuted by Mosaic. It is Friday, February 17th, and we're talking about the multiracial identity with three guests. In this episode, our guests talk about their upbringing and how it has developed their identity, what it means to be white and what it means to be black, specifically in the context of the United States, the difference between adapting and assimilating, and stay until the end to hear about people and words that have helped ground and inspire them. Let's meet our guests. Hello everyone, my name is Narissa Lane. I am a senior on campus and I am a sociology with a concentration in criminal justice major. I am the secretary of our Black Student Union and I also work public safety. And I'm also a Team Barnabas mentor. Okay, what's up? I'm Avril. Um, I'm a Christian Studies major here at Point Loma, and I am a mentor in Team B. Yay! Um, I want to talk about this topic because I feel like it's so interesting how multiple races can define who you are, how each different race tells you a different story, and I just I want to hear everyone they talk about it. Hello everybody, uh, my name is Walter Augustine and I am the Associate Vice President for Diversity and Belonging at Point Loma, also adjunct faculty as well. And I'm interested in this topic um, for a number of reasons actually. Part of it just being from a uh, United States standpoint, sort of the history of biracial and biracial um, folks and their history within this country, but also because of my own journey a little bit and learning more about my ancestors and somewhat of my own biracial and multiracial background. So looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Thank you guys for sharing and introducing yourselves. Um, at the beginning of this year, we did a poll of the students to figure out like what are people interested in hearing about on the podcast? What are some topics that they feel like haven't been talked about enough? And this was the number one requested thing from students was to talk about the multiracial identity. So really excited to be doing this episode and to have all of you lovely people here. Um, so we can just dive in if everyone's ready. Yeah. Um, I sort of want to start like when you guys were young. So mm-hmm. your background, your family background, and maybe we could chat a little about um, how your identity was created at the beginning in your family structures and what that looked like for you. Well, I am Filipino, Chinese, and black. I was raised um, by my mom, who's Filipino, Chinese, and her husband, who is Mexican and, I believe, German-Swiss. So that was really interesting, not having a black parent around, just because I wasn't raised with, like, a black identity. Like, I knew that I was black, but at the same time, um, I was more so raised with, like, the Asian kind of side of my family, so I grew up a little more proud of my Asian heritage rather than my black heritage. Lovely. I am black and white, black on my mother's side and white on my dad's side. I am the only child on my white dad's side, so all of my siblings Mm. have a black dad, and it was just really interesting growing up how they would be much darker than me and just seeing the dynamics growing up of how people treat me versus how they treat my siblings Mm. differently. And yeah, it's just been really interesting. Yeah, I, I think for me, um, my story is a bit different in terms of growing up. Um, it was always sort of 
um, told to me within my family that I was black. Um, my mother and my father um, were considered black. However, um, going back to my grandmother, uh, my grandmother and some of my other uncles and aunts uh, who grew up in New Orleans were known as what was called Pasoma. Mm. which means they could pass for white. Mm -hmm. So that let me know that there was something else other than African within my ancestry. So even though I grew up under the, the idea that I was black, uh, we knew that there was also some European heritage mm -hmm. um, within um, my lineage. And um, interestingly, I found out through ancestry DNA that I am almost 20% European wow. uh, of heritage. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned a little about the people that helped you identify what your identity was and what made you a multiracial person. W would you say that those mostly came from family members or was that kind of more of like a community society, people outside of your family helping you see that? I guess I'll jump in and, and start on that one. For me, it was a little bit of both, quite honestly. Um, part of it was my family, a little bit, um, though it wasn't necessarily always vocally spoken um, about being black, but you can tell from certain cultural traditions that you know we were different um, from some of the folks in the area in which we lived, which was predominantly white. Um, and so when I had questions that came up as a kid, um, that's discussions of what it meant to be black came about. And so within the family, that helped to shape some of it. But then also I would say as well, in the spaces that I was in, growing up in pretty much all white schools, elementary school, junior high, to some extent high school as well, um, the ways in which I was perceived um, also played a part in how I perceived myself. And so there were times in which I was reminded, sometimes in subtle and sometimes in not so subtle ways, um, that from their perspective, I was a black person. And so um, I think both of those played a role in my understanding of who I am. But I will say the last piece, in terms of my um, grandparents and aunts, great aunts and uncles, my parents also did not shy away from letting me know that there were other heritages, that there were other um, ethnic communities within um, our ancestry as well. That's interesting. I'd have to say the same, like both my community and my family. But what was really interesting about my family, that a lot of people may not know this, but a lot of Asians are racist towards black people. and as you will, as people learn within like their, um, like Asian people are known as like the assimilated race, I believe, just because like they're the closest to white than the other um, race within the US. So it's been really interesting having to be raised in that kind of household where my mom would ask me questions like, hey, like, do you prefer like the white man who raised you or do you prefer like your black like birth father? And um, within my family, like, it was just really interesting to see how my family would get really angry if like my black parent was even mentioned at all um, on top of like their own prejudices towards black people. Um, so there's that and then also being also raised in a primarily white society and then also going to a primarily white college. It's just been interesting to see how I am very, like I'm different from other people in um, not just my skin color, but 
just the way people perceive me like i have had like in high school people have told me like oh like you're asian but like i know more things about asian culture so i'm more asian than you or i listen to music and you don't so i'm more black than you so it's been really interesting having to kind of understand where um i feel comfortable within my own race and having to navigate um like who i am as a person around my race because of people who judge you based off of like my or judge me based off of my color skin because i am light-skinned and i guess apparently people tell that i'm asian which is really interesting um but yeah that's just been a really interesting way to navigate my own race my own racial identity yeah i would have to say that like the way i perceive myself through race has definitely started with my family because as i mentioned um i'm partially white and the way that for some context i'm from the dominican republic and whiteness is really like the center that's like the goal and so my family loved that i was partially white and like they wanted me to stay that way they wouldn't let me like go in the sun a lot or they would make me straighten my hair in order to look a certain way and so that going into my community made me feel like i am white however as we all know i am not so it's just the way it's funny the way that it um whiteness is like the goal so like everyone although the dominican republic the dominican republic is a predominantly black country to be white is the goal so everyone wants that and sees themselves as that so yeah would it be okay if i asked a question yeah first um having being raised within like a right a white centered community have you guys ever felt like you ever wanted to be white because i know that i definitely felt that growing up being surrounded by white people and like my brothers being white and just being jealous of like oh yeah they don't have to lift in their legs or like their hair like looks nicer than mine just because my mom didn't know how to take care of black hair or um just things like that absolutely i personally i hate my naturally curly hair mm -hmm. it wasn't until i was 18 that i started to wear my natural curly hair because i just i wanted to be white so bad and since i saw that white people had i mean mostly um straight hair that that was the end goal for me mm -hmm. um but yeah i would say that yes yeah i would agree i mean this desire to be white was also part of my upbringing to an extent mm -hmm. um to the extent where especially in elementary school junior high i started changing the music i listened to mm -hmm. i started dressing differently you know um, watching different types of movies um, all in attempts quite honestly uh, to sort of be white i i still remember um, being a little kid and it was Christmas time, and uh, they took me to Santa, mm. and Santa was black, mm. and I mm. cried. Oh, no. <laughs> I cried the whole oh, time man. because I was like, "That's not Santa." Yeah. Um, so there's this this image in my mind of you know, um, sort of like you all were saying, sort of white was best, and mm -hmm. so it's this desire within me, um, especially in those younger um, stages of my life, uh, to be white, and it was a desire to belong and to fit in with everybody else yeah mm -hmm. especially with people in the media being white like yeah. I feel like like yes I grew up having like Mulan but it took me a really long time to like uh, it wasn't until like what the princess frog where we got like our first black princess mm -hmm. but then even then for most of the movie she was like a frog so I think it's really interesting how Disney does that but just in general how a lot of POCs aren't super portrayed within the media um, mm -hmm. which is really interesting and I think that's a aspect of um, the aspect of white or people of color wanting to be white is 
um, like a part of white supremacy that a lot of people don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's interesting that you bring up the media. I was curious what y'all's experience was with the media mm-hmm. and how that might have did you maybe feeling like you wanted or needed to assimilate into whatever whiteness means. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely I definitely remember being in elementary school and telling my friends like, oh, like I wish I looked like you. And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, I wish I looked white. Like, I wish I had straight hair. I wish I had your really pretty blue eyes because I grew up listening to country music and every single song is about a blonde girl. Mm-hmm. It's about a blonde girl mm-hmm. with so blue true. eyes and, like, she's white. And I was just like, I wish, like, there's never songs about girls who look like me in country music and I just wished I was white so badly, especially when there isn't a black person in my house. Like, I, my, on my mom's side, I am the only black person. So that was especially hard doing during the, um, the, black, um, the black Lives Matter movement when I had an Asian uncle, he's Filipino, and he came up to me and he was like, hey, what do you think about the Black Lives Matter movement? And I was just thinking like, I mean, I support it as a black person, definitely support it because like police brutality is real. And then he started comparing like the trauma of like Asian people within the US. And I was like, yes, like we as people of color have experienced a lot of trauma within the US, but that doesn't mean that we should be comparing trauma, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's just been really Mm -hmm. hard trying to navigate like where I am within a family that's primarily Asian and white as the only black person there. Yeah, I I agree. I also wanted to add that, like, it's just so funny that when casting people, it's mostly white people. Mm -hmm. And then, like, the funny side character is a person of color. Like, what does that make you feel like? Mm -hmm. What does this imply? That, okay, they're funny, but, like, they have no romantic interest, but the white protagonist has all like two boys going over her and it's just like okay so am i just meant to be funny yeah just am i not meant to be like in romances you know yeah just like the comedic relief Mm -hmm. like we have no other personality yeah i think one other piece as well and here i'm going to show age a little bit (laughs) but um it, it was interesting because growing up for me i was in an era um growing up where black was beautiful and so you had a lot of those types of messages out there but still in some of the other places where my focus was you did not see very much black representation Mm. Um, so to give you an example i was a huge comic book fan as a kid and i searched almost in vain to look for somebody like me Mm. represented as a superhero within the comics i think i can remember maybe two out of all of the the comic book superheroes when i was growing up and so there was while there was sort of this black is beautiful type of refrain that existed there was also a lack or birth of representation Mm -hmm. in many respects yeah yeah all right i want to move a little bit into kind of what your lives look like in the present and what it's like to be a multiracial person at Point Loma and maybe how your identity of yourself has changed just being a student or being a, a staff member. I think being multiracial has allowed me to connect to multiple different people like I can connect to the Asian community I can connect to the black community which feels great because in high school like I felt like I couldn't really connect to any of those groups just because I don't speak any Asian languages and I didn't grow up with a black parent so I didn't feel like I could relate to any of the black students but I think it's definitely allowed me to like connect with them which creates a better um, feeling of identity within myself because I'm learning about 
how they've experienced the culture and able to relate to them on those things or I'm able to be educated on those other things that I have not experienced. So I appreciate that. Um, I was going to say something else, but then I lost it, but yeah. Yeah. I feel like since coming here, the biggest thing um, was becoming a minority because... Uh, um, as I said, I grew up in a country where people like me, and so I was comfortable. And then when I came here, I was like, okay, these people don't look like me. I feel weird. And that's when the idea of blackness came to my head. Because I, as I mentioned earlier, um, whiteness is the goal in the DR, right? And so you view yourself as white even though you're not. But then when I came here, I was like, okay, this is what white people look like. I am not them, therefore I am not white. And so that's when I started viewing myself, okay, I am black. Like, this is part of my identity. And it just became so real when I came here. Yeah, I, it's interesting for me, um, knowing that I, ha <clears throat> excuse me, knowing I have, uh, you know, European ancestry, hasn't really necessarily impacted the way I operate um, here at PLNU so much as having spent time in predominantly white spaces and experiencing predominantly white cultures. Um, I think it's one thing for me to to be, you know, biracial in some respects. It's another thing, um, you know, as, as my colleagues have talked about, to spend time in cultural spaces that are different than yours. Mm -hmm. And when you spend time in those spaces, that's when it sort of really starts hitting you. Okay, wait a second, I'm not this, right? Mm -hmm. I'm something else. Um, but it also then becomes the challenge of adapting um, or yeah, I would say adapting to the culture that are in. And so um, because I've spent probably the majority of my life um, in a lot of predominantly white spaces, it's enabled me to um, become what uh, one of my favorite authors calls bicultural, meaning I can operate in mm -hmm. multiple cultures, mm -hmm. you know, in, in authentic ways because I've spent time mm -hmm. in these different cultures. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting how you brought up adapting because I definitely remember thinking, okay, well, this is how all these people dress, so I dress like them mm -hmm. and I should assimilate to their culture. But then I, um, these past couple of years, I started realizing like, hey, like I don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. Like these people, nobody like makes comments about how I'm dressing, like we all dress the same. So then I started dressing in my own style, which made me feel more confident in my identity, which then made me feel more confident in my racial identity. And I've realized like why would we assimilate when we're made to stand out you know mm -hmm. this is a white this is a primarily white community and we are black like we don't have to assimilate to their culture yeah. we don't have to pretend to be white like we can be proud of that and i think as soon as i grew that confidence people started noticing it and complimenting me like oh my gosh your hair looks so beautiful mm -hmm. like i love your curls tell me all about like how you are able to make your curls so prominent because i know that there are a lot of other like black students who are straightening their hair and they aren't like proud of their curls and I'm just like hey like I can help you you just have to ask mm -hmm. you just have to ask me for help and I'm here to support you and I think it's definitely created a lot more support within my um my people of color groups which I absolutely adore yeah yeah and you know I'm so glad you said that and mm -hmm. and that's the reason I use the term adapting mm -hmm. instead of assimilating mm -hmm. right because I think like when I was younger 
I was all about trying to assimilate. Mm -hmm. Um, But I got to the point, similar to you, where I was like, you know, no, I'm not meant to be like everybody else. I'm meant to be myself. Mm -hmm. And so I've learned how to adapt Mm -hmm. without assimilating in mm-hmm. these spaces, still bringing my some of my authentic self in terms of who I am into these spaces, but also in how to um, how to be able to to operate and function well um, within these spaces as well. I like that. I'm going to write that down mm-hmm. without assimilating. I like that. That's mm-hmm. a good reminder. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I know. And I want to add on to that, like the hair thing, for example. Mm-hmm. I w- while I did start wearing my cor- curls. I wanted them to look the nicest ever because I thought to myself, I'm one of the few black people on this campus and I need to look well, I need to look nice so that I can represent my people well. Mm. But like, I was like, my hair is just so weird. Like, it takes any form that it wants. Like, (laughs) it took me a while to let it be as it is. Mm -hmm. Like, now I can go out places looking like whatever my hair wants to look like without feeling bad or ashamed like i used to like like tuck my hair in and like wear like ponytails and make it look nice but now i literally don't care like for example i love mm. your hair girl like literally <laughs> let it out like exactly that's what i'm talking about also a lot of people who don't have curly hair are not going to recognize that or they're on they're not going to see your hair the way that you see it mm-hmm. because you know exactly what it looks like every day you know your curl pattern but it, other people who don't have the hair they're just going to see your hair and be like oh my gosh your curls look gorgeous mm-hmm. so i stopped like having i stopped worrying about so much about what my curls look like you know because it's gonna look gorgeous either way Mm -hmm, literally (laughs) yeah so you mentioned a little bit about some things or i guess acts of preservation in terms Mm -hmm. of being able to adapt in a community do you think there's other ways that you like need to preserve your culture or identity at a pwi I think I sometimes do find myself reminding myself to just preserve my identity because sometimes I'll catch myself and be like, oh my gosh, I wish I could do this nail color because like I don't think it'll look good with my mm-hmm. skin tone. I wish I was white. But then I'll catch myself and say, no, tone is beautiful the way to, that it is. And like, it's a beautiful nail color. So if it looks good, then it's it looks good, you know? Like it's mm-hmm. not, it's not going to matter much. Like in the grand scheme of things, like things, like these little things aren't going to matter so much. But we, at the same time, I, like, I how Rihanna started her, um, like, her makeup line because she's making, like, makeup products for women of color or people of color, mm-hmm. you know, like, and the the makeup world and the cosmetics world has just been very much a, like, a white world, very much, where mm-hmm. it's, like, the hair products aren't made for curly girls yeah. or curly haired girls or just people with curly hair and they um like the products are made for white people like they're and if mm-hmm. we think about it like our like our body types or not our body types but like some of the parts of our bodies are different like for lotions like we definitely need a little more moisturizer mm-hmm. in our in our lotions rather than just like oh yeah just fun <laughs> and you just won't look ashy like mm-hmm. i definitely had to change a few of my products to make sure that i am taking good care of my body and making sure that it gets what it needs mm-hmm. so definitely just catching myself on those little things and making sure that I am staying true to myself and I'm staying proud of who I am and where I come from. Yeah, I think for me, and I I love what you shared Mm -hmm. about, you know, the things that you do to take care of your body. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. 
Um, and I think for me, in addition to that, the things that I do to take care of my soul mm. as well, right? So mm. for me, that's huge. I'm a huge music lover um, and grew up singing classical and um, folk tunes and hymns, but also came from the black church. And so gospel is a big part of my life as well. And so even when I enter into spaces like PLNU, um, I find ways to stay rooted through types of music I listen mm. to, you know, things of that nature, just certain cultural pieces, which help me mm. to stay connected a little bit to those other aspects of, of who I am. Um, so yeah, for me, that's a, that's a key piece as well. Ways in which I feed my soul mm. to be able to stay connected to that part of, of, you know, who I was made to be. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that because it just reminded me, like, for example, freshman year, I remember that, like, people bonded a lot over the music that they listened to, and so they would, sh they would have, like, shower parties and play, like, music that, like, I didn't grow up with, mm -hmm. and I'm like, it was okay, but, like, it made me want to, like, listen to that music and that music only, but, like, I grew up listening to salsa and, like, merengue and bachata, and I love, yeah, I love all of that. I used to, like, back home shower, like, with music on, but, like, the first year i would never i would be so embarrassed i was like what if they think i'm crazy like i would never do this but now sophomore year i just love playing my music and that make helps me preserve my cultural identity in that sense like hey okay, i'm proud that i listen to salsa in the mm -hmm. shower mm -hmm. yeah i'm glad you guys brought up music because i recently started listening to sam cook and mm -hmm. i for his voice yes. i love him <laughs> and that got me back into like nat king cole and ella fitzgerald and louis armstrong and mm -hmm. It's um, like those are the people that make me feel proud of where I come from, like mm -hmm. their music, the soul, just the way their voices sound. It, it, war it really warms my heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other influential people? They could be people that you've actually met and been in a relationship with or a celebrity or someone who is well known that have helped understand or helped affect how you understand yourself today. Okay, I guess I'll, I'll dive yeah, in. I, 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 man, I could go forever on some of this. But um, so these are not people I've met, but these are people that I've read and have heard on recordings and sort of heroes of mine. So um, one of them is um, a, a sociologist by the name of uh, W.E.B. Du Bois. Oh, yes. yes. W.E.B. Mm -hmm. Du Bois has been instrumental in understanding what it is and what it means uh, to be, um, for, for in my case, an African-American. Uh, he talks about in his writings this concept of double consciousness, mm -hmm. of basically always seeing yourself through the lens of others, but also this, this sort of split within myself and within us as African Americans of being both African and American mm -hmm. and how those two are always sort of warring against one another. Um, and so I think W.B. Du Bois has been huge. Uh, second person that's been huge, quite honestly, is James Baldwin. Mm. Uh, James Baldwin speaks a little bit on um, uh, some types of concepts. Um, and he, he, he had this amazing quote that he um, talked about in terms of race and specifically with um, specific regards to African-American, talking about the fact that um, pretty much within this whole thing of, of racism and everything that goes with that, he says, look, 
he says, basically, I am flesh or flesh, mm-hmm. bone of your bone. Mm-hmm. I'm literally right come from you because honestly and i saw this recently 23andme did a study on um basically dna of african americans um, in the united states who um ancestors were brought over in slavery and the majority vast majority of them have some type of european dna with their heritage meaning that for many of them of course there mm-hmm. was um forced you know, um, um, sexual relationships many times. And so um, there's this sense that that Baldwin affirms there saying, hey, I'm actually part of you. Right. And so the struggle that we have is a struggle um, with family, essentially. Uh, And then the last person for me is uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. Um, he speaks so well to this, and he actually quotes uh, Baldwin in this. He tells this amazing story where Baldwin went to school and uh, came home, and his, his mother asked him, so is your teacher black or is she white? And Baldwin says she's a little bit black and she's a little bit white. And then uh, King says that's the reality of what it means uh, to be African-American mm-hmm. in this country mm-hmm. is to be a little bit black and a little bit white. As the tragedy is mm-hmm. that for many of us, we basically tend to want to hold on to one asset and not endorse or embrace the other. But in reality, we need to be able to embrace both. Mm-hmm. And so um, that, that was just really helpful for me in thinking through my identity in who I am. Yeah. Um, I would say that a person that has been instrumental for my um, growth has been Sam Capone. I'm sure you guys Mm. know him. Mm. I love that man with everything in me. Mm. Um, He's just so instrumental in my life because when I first came to PNU, as I said, I was like a little animal trying to hide in a shell. And like Sam was just so bold about his blackness, it made me want to be loud mm-hmm. and bold too. And the way that he brought in like the black community and like people of color of any kind of race too, it was just so like, like I want to be you, like I want to do what you're doing, like I want to be as bold as you are. And I just love that man so much. Yeah. Oh, I love Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say a famous, famous person would have to be Bea Richards. I recently watched a documentary on her. I only got through part of it, but um, she was like a black actress, and she, um, I don't know, she was always just unapologetic black, and I just loved how she had persevered through um, just like the white um, film industry as well as um just being a poet and a mother and just writing about like she has a um a bald a black woman speaks of white womanhood of white supremacy and of peace and it's kind of just talking about how she a woman has been treated within a white community but also as a black woman who's a mother and how uh, motherhood has kind of treated her within that, as well as um, reconciling um, with all of that hatred that she's experienced and finding peace within that. But on campus, I would love to give a shout out to Dr. V, Dr. Mm -hmm. Valiente Neighbors in the um, sociology department. As soon as I found out she was Filipino, I grabbed onto her, like, or I didn't physically grab onto her, but like, (laughs) I, um, like I mentally grabbed onto her and I was just like, this is a woman I wanna keep in my life throughout this, I throughout my college times because there aren't like I haven't seen a lot of 
um, people of color uh, professors on campus, but, and I also just haven't had any Asian teachers. So just to have someone who's Filipino um, and just seeing her all the time because um, I am a sociology major, it has just felt like home on this. Also, Professor Marshall Field, shout out to the criminal justice department. <laughs> Having a professor teach about the criminal legal system from a black perspective has been so so because like i've been taught it from a white perspective and it's very much like oh yeah like this is just how it is da 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 but from the black perspective it's very much hey like it was established to keep black people down and here are the real facts i'm not going to sugarcoat it and i really appreciated that from also professor glenn laster he has been super great i'm taking the civil rights pilgrimage class with him and just having him that class has been um, like a safe space for me, especially because he hired me at Public Safety. So to see him as like the first black person on campus has been super great. And also, um, losing names now, but yes. Oh, also Trey Watkins in the mm -hmm. career services. That's a Trey. Um, just being able to talk to him about like my black experiences and not being raised by a black father has been super great just because he walked out and he, um, just getting to kind of feel like I have like black parents on campus has really great so I love that awesome thank you for sharing those people in your lives have you ever experienced discrimination in light of your multiracial identity if at all and what types like what did it look like for you I haven't experienced any specific discriminations but I have experienced weird things um like my freshman year I had friends who were trying to let me give them like the n-word pass as people who weren't like black and i thought that was super weird like they were trying to be like oh well you can say like um like you can say our racial slurs and i'm just like but i don't want to mm -hmm. like i i just think it's interesting how there are so many people who want to say the n-word or say the n-word who aren't like black i just think it's interesting how it's kind of just become I don't know, like, how would you say, like, it's become, like, a, I don't know. A trend? Yeah, yeah. it's been very trendy. It's mm -hmm. been like, oh, well, you guys are saying it, so why can't I say it? But it's mm -hmm. also like, but why do you want to say it so badly, yeah. you know? Like, like say it in a song, you know? Yeah. Oh, because everyone's saying it, mm -hmm. like, ooh. But also, like, why do you want to so yeah. badly? Mm -hmm. Like, why, why do you so badly? Like, what is the big deal about yeah. that? Like, I understand how I some black people are saying it because it kind of takes back the power um of a word that was used to discriminate against us and um it was used by people who treat us treated us like so horrendously awful for mm -hmm. lack of a better word so i can understand why people have like people who are black wanting to say that word people who aren't black especially like the latino community like why do you guys want to mm -hmm. say it uh-huh Mm -hmm. I know it's just funny to me I mean not funny but like like sometimes I come across like videos and like I see for example um people who are clearly not black but are not white like Latinos mm -hmm. and like they would say the n-word and be like oh no but like like I'm Mexican or like any other ethnicity but like they're clearly clearly not um not black mm -hmm. and I feel like it's just like People are not as educated on why we do not say that word, at least in the Latino community, because la black Latinos weren't called that. We were called other words, but like people 
at least in my country, like, they don't know why. Because I think it's a more U.S.-centered thing, historically. Mm-hmm. But same thing, saying the N-word is not, like, an African-American isolated experience. But, like, it's, like, a black experience. Yeah. You know? I just think it's... Oh, currency was the word I was looking for. I just think it's how people think it's, like, a form of currency. And that's why they want to say it so mm-hmm. badly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. You, you were asking about incidents of discrimination and... Um, yeah, over my life experience, a number of incidents, discrimination, um, because of, you know, people perceiving me as black, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they weren't all in my childhood either. Um, I had a situation where I was on a mission trip um, in Ghana about 10 years ago, and we were on um, a tour of Cocoon National Forest and uh, climbing through um, the national park on rope bridges. And so I'm terrified of heights. And these mm. bridges are like 100 feet off the ground. Mm. But I was the only African-American on the trip, only um, black person, only two people of color. The other one was Athena. Mm. And um, so I was the last person on the bridge. And as we were coming to the end, there's a platform with a gate, a bamboo gate, and the head of our trip closed the door to the gate with me out on a bridge and said to me, the gorillas must stay in the forest. Wow. And then said it again and started laughing. Mm. And I was, I mean, just mortified. I was Mm -hmm. just, I was like, wow, really? You know, Mm -hmm. um, and it just reminded me at the time I was um, working on my dissertation um, and uh, it reminded me I think it was Malcolm X who said many years ago he said uh, what do you call a black man or a black one with a PhD and the answer to that is the n-word Oh wow! Mm. and so it was just a reminder to me that even 10 years ago that that was still the case. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yes, I've had numerous times in which I've experienced um, discrimination because oh. of my skin, because of my color, mm-hmm. in a way that people perceive me, regardless of my degrees, regardless yeah. of, you know, any accomplishments. Yeah, and I think it's interesting how a lot of people are quick to say, oh, well, like, why do you guys care about Black Lives Matter? Or, like, why mm-hmm. are you guys so big on that when slavery ended so long ago and the civil rights movement happened so long ago? But if you really think about it, what, what was it, like, 60s? Mm-hmm. That was maybe 60 years ago. And people who are black are still, exper- still. experiencing um, just all of these horrible, like, things being said to them and done to them. And I just think, like, it's, it's irrelevant to say oh, well, this happened so long ago when, it, like, things like this, like, microaggressions are still happening to the, to this day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you ground yourself after something like that happens? Yeah. That's a question. Um, it, so, and that, that situation was interesting because um, what, what I ended up doing, it, it definitely changed the tenor of the rest of the trip for me. Um, what what I ended up doing was because I was actually rooming with the person who said this, mm-hmm. and so I just started by that evening asking how many other um, black people had been on the trip with them before, and basically he could only name two, 
Um, and I specifically said African-American. He can only name two, and one of the two was African-American, who was Cameroonian. And so I, I sort of realized at that point that it was really no use getting into the conversation because I felt like um, the person didn't even have the background knowledge and understanding to be able to engage well in a conversation about what has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, um, I, 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 I didn't, I, I'll be honest, I look back at the time and said, should I have done more in the moment? Should I have said more in the moment? Should I have um, gotten much more upset? I mean, what, what should I have done? When I got back, I ended up telling um, the person who sponsored me for the trip, and we contacted his organization that he was a part of. And um, at the end of the day, um, yeah, no, nothing really happened coming out of that. Um, but, yeah, I sold for a little while afterwards with... Um, yeah, what 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 should have been my my response? Mm-hmm. How should I help with this? Um, but I think so. So real quickly, offsetting that though, one thing that helped me stay grounded with that when we were in Accra, we went and visited a slave castle, mm-hmm. Elmina Slave Castle, and it was during their uh, Sankofa Counts, where they were inviting the descendants of those who had been um, sent into slavery back to Ghana. Mm. And I still remember um, being on the top of the slave castle, just having this moving, just having gone through this moving experience and looking over and there was this older gentleman sitting down. And uh, later I heard him speak and I realized, I, I don't know if he, what country he was from, but he was from the Caribbean. But he wasn't speaking. He looked at me, I looked at him and he had tears in his eyes. And he just looked at me and balled up his fist and put it to his heart. And I did the same thing to him and just nodded. Mm. And just something passed between us yeah. in terms of this sense of mm. coming full circle. Mm. You know, and that was one of the things that helped me stay grounded was remembering that time, remembering the sense of, you know, the 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 sons and daughters of the ancestors are now returned back mm-hmm. to where it all started in respects. Yeah. Like, I, I think something that keeps me grounded whenever I feel something is kind of off that someone who has said, like in class, in one of my um, classes, um, someone was talking about who's white, someone was talking about how they have, like, a black brother, and there was another white girl who was saying, like, oh, she kind of, like, resonated with something she said, and then she's like, oh, it's super cool that you have a black brother, and my friend and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, did she just say that? Like, that was just something interesting, and... Mm-hmm. Um, I had a conversation with our professor, and I kind of just took a second. I didn't say anything within that um, conversation with that girl who had said that. But I kind of took a second, and I was thinking, okay, well, she's probably just saying that because she probably has grown up in a a prominently white community, and um, she she probably doesn't have anybody in her family who, like, she probably doesn't have a multicultural, multiracial family. So that's probably why she said that was cool, but, like, it was just a weird way of her Mm -hmm. phrasing it. Although, um, like Dr. Marshall Fields, he teaches a lot of um, criminal justice classes, and um, he has said some things to me about how there are other people, like there are other students who will say things that are off or racist. And he and I have talked to each other about that, and he was like, you know what? 
like students like you and Taylor are the reason why I'm still teaching at this school because I know that like we need each other mm-hmm. like he would like he continued teaching um our criminal justice class because he knew that like he and I were on the same page and being able to have a black professor teaching the about the criminal justice system felt very safe to me as a student who wants to hear the real story of the criminal justice system rather than people who are just like oh well you're just saying that or I can't really relate because I'm white so then I'm gonna kind of ignore what you're saying or kind of Mm -hmm. brush it off but having someone from your community especially with Dr. V because I resonated with her and I kind of talked to her about how I felt uncomfortable with the idea of dating someone who's white who is white especially white men because of the fetishization of black Mm. women, Asian women, and just women of color in general. Mm -hmm. So that kind of felt very scary and unsafe for me. But she, who was an Asian woman who was dating a white man, told out how she had him write like like an email explaining as to why he wants to marry her for her rather than like fetishizing her. It turned out to be like a six page essay when she put it into like MLA format. So I appreciate having people in my community and just who are like people of color kind of just sit and kind of talk these things with like talk these things out with you Mm -hmm. i want to add on more to that because personally i don't know how to cope with discrimination especially because i've been like i haven't really experienced it as much and when i do it's just like i don't know what to do with this but like the sense of having a community my goodness that is so vital so important Mm -hmm. and i remember one time one time i was talking to like this white person and i was about the uh bsu and he was like oh you guys have a club for black people like where's the club for white people and i was <laughs> it's like bro it is the school that is your club <laughs> we were at the cafe and i was like dude this is your club this like, is your club you bro it's your club boo Literally. thank you very much thank you very I much i was like and that just puts it into perspective how how like People don't think how important it is to have a community of people who understand the things that you're going through. Like, I don't know how to deal with this stuff, but it's amazing to have people who know how to so they can walk with you, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Why isn't there a club for white people? Please. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Dr. Arstein, what is your take on that person <laughs> saying that? Please. I will plead the fifth. <laughs> No comment. (laughs) I know we already touched a little bit about, like, finding a sense of belonging, whether Mm -hmm. that's in people or in community spaces. Are there any other places that you feel like have been pivotal in building a community and feeling supported and grounded? I think Mosaic on campus has been a great way. Shout out to Mosaic. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because I... That's, like, a safe... Like, I know that that's a very safe space for people of color. Also, just a shout out... um, people who aren't like black or asian or any of those like cultures like you are like people who are white are one mm-hmm. to go to our meetings to be educated and just commune with us you know mm-hmm. um but i would have to say mosaic is a great space just any spaces in san diego like i love going to like convoy street to get asian food because that's like a great like that's like a space for asian people um or just like people in general but i know that that's a very special space for asian people because that's like where our food is and just being able to share different foods or try different foods from different cultures has been very great like i will go visit my lola who lives in valley and like she cooks me asian food all the time and it just feels like home like it feels Mm -hmm. like like this feels this is a space for me this feels Mm -hmm. like home so that's what i love 
I'll, I'll throw one yeah. thing out there because it's interesting. I'm, I'm probably the newest person um, on the panel to the community <laughs> here. So I'm still finding those spaces uh, to some extent of belonging. But I will say, at least so far, especially here at P PLNU, um, some of those safe spaces have been people, you know, just certain folks mm -hmm. and individuals um, that I've gotten to know. I, I've I, Honestly, I've viewed my, interest in, my entrance into this community as being one where I hope to be able to, to provide those safe spaces mm -hmm. for students mm -hmm. and for faculty and staff. Um, but I find that there are folks who will, you know, check on me mm -hmm. to say, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. How are you doing with this situation? How are you doing with this, this incident that just happened? How are you doing with that? And I am so grateful for people who, you know, are checking in with me and on me. And so that's been helpful for me mm -hmm. to be able to find some spaces of belonging, even as I look to create spaces of belonging for mm -hmm. us mm -hmm. in this space. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm actually glad you mentioned that. I wasn't going to say anything, but when you said people, I immediately thought of my roommate. Mm. Oh my goodness, you guys. <sighs> she is Mexican and she speaks Spanish and just... I barely hear the on the during the day, but in the, the night when I come back to the dorm and I see her, I am just so happy because that girl is my space. Mm. And like something with me is that uh, because Spanish is my um, native language, like mm. speaking English every day all the time is so exhausting. Mm -hmm. And just when I come back in the night and I see her and I can speak Spanish, it is the best feeling ever. Like mm -hmm. I feel so relieved. And it's just like especially when you're having like a bad day. You just want to let it out. Like mm -hmm. English that is just not the same. Mm -hmm. It's not the same. And so I would say that my roommate is definitely brings me like a sense of belonging. That makes me want a happy quick <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have a friend who's from Brazil and um um, she doesn't have a lot of people to speak Brazilian to. Connected mm -hmm. her with Kai on campus, so mm -hmm. now they have like now they can sp both speak Portuguese to yeah. each other, and I love that. That's awesome. Um, okay, before we close it out, is there anything that you guys wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about yet, or like is important to to bring up? If someone is multiracial, please do not tell them. Um, like, oh, well, I'm more of your race because I listen to this music or I listen to or I eat this type of food that's associated with your race, please, because that is so invalidating towards multiracial mm -hmm. people. I cannot, I cannot say that enough. Please, um, please do not do that because that can be very hurtful, especially towards someone who is still coming up and kind of trying to understand their, their multiracial identities. Um, but yeah, that's just something I wanted to add. until the end of this episode and for supporting us if you or someone you know wants to be more involved with the podcast we are hiring for next year if you're interested you can head over to our instagram or you can just go to our show notes where we will have the application linked and look out for our next episode on purity culture and sexual shame with author linda k klein until then make sure to stay safe and take care Thank you.
This podcast would not be made possible without the Office of Multicultural and International Student Services at Point Loma Nazarene University. It was hosted and executively produced by Sarah Gleason. It was written and researched by Anika Barr. The promotions and graphics were created by Michaela Norwood, and it was recorded by Point Radio at PLNU.